Hello and welcome back to The Social Club, brought to you by tvsportsblog.com. Hello and welcome back to The Social Club, a show brought to you by tvsportsblog.com, part of the Chronicles of Aguna, of course. But this is the show where we get to not talk about Arsenal, uh, not moan about Arsenal. And in fact, we're probably not even going to mention them for the entirety of this show, which is great news for me because right now I'm sick of it. Um, it's not a great time to be an Arsenal supporter at the moment. All the doom and gloom has come back. Football's come back too. And to join me, uh, to discuss uh, how we've uh, enjoyed it is uh, a couple of guests, uh, two regulars. There's no doubt you'll recognise them. It's uh, Dan DeLuca and Simon Alavi. Dan, first of all, how you doing, mate? Welcome back. It's been a while. Yeah, as you won't recognise me with this fucking air. I need a barber's to open pretty soon, to be honest. And... It's terrible, but when I look at you on the screen, mate, that's not the worst thing that jumps out at me. It's that disgusting <laughs> shirt. Yeah, know. I did. I did see your your intro there. Where you're talking about not moaning about Arsenal, and you got a wanker and a Spurs shirt on. So yeah. you're just gonna have to endure that for a little bit. I'm afraid. I there could take go. it off. It's a much worse view for everyone. I promise. Nah, leave it on. I think even uh, even we even that's not that bad. Uh, Mister Alavi, welcome back, mate. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, all good. Can't complain. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, man. Looking nice and tanned. You've been out in the garden or you've been at the bottle again? <laughs> Bit of both. <laughs> there you go. One age, the both. other. <laughs> yeah. Bit of both, that's it. Uh, big hello to all the guys currently watching us in the live chat, to Omar, uh, to Wayne, who's currently tuned in from South Africa. How you doing, mate? Welcome to the show and uh, to the Mr. Arsenal podcast, another Arsenal podcast. Do check them out. It's a great show as well. Um, so if you haven't already, please do so. Don't forget this show is sponsored by tvsportsblog.com. And we're going to kick off by talking about Project Restart. Now, there was a lot of anticipation about the return of the Premier League, understandably so, because it's been a horrible time uh, in this world. You know, we've had people losing their lives due to this horrible virus. Life as we know it has completely changed. Um, it's starting to head back to something like normal. And, and football coming back was one of those big uh, moments for me anyway in terms of my life getting back to normal uh dan let's start with you mate how have you enjoyed the return of football actually have you enjoyed it at all not really not not really i don't want to be stubborn because i did i did say all along that i i wasn't a fan of restarting and that was more to do with the fairness of the game i don't think you can change rules halfway through a, halfway through a season so Taking the fans away is something I reluctantly accepted in the end because there was no choice. But I think if they kept the rules the same, then I'd be a lot more comfortable with it. Like You can't be having five subs now when three months ago teams had to soldier on with like you know 10 men because they'd use their subs had a player injured. So I weren't happy with that. And I did say the last time I was on this pod that I think I said, have you ever enjoyed a game you've watched behind closed doors? And I think we've seen, I think we've seen 11 or 12 games so far. I've not enjoyed a single one, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, I've liked watching them, and I haven't had to speak to my wife for a bit. And it, it sort of got the first couple of days had that sort of World Cup feel to it, didn't it? Which was back-to-back -back games. But yeah. you realise how, you know, even the dullest moments, if you've got some fans in the background, you know, it, it makes a difference. And there's not been a single good game, as there, in, in my view, anyway. So I'm happy to have something to watch, but I'm not really enjoying the football. I thought Spurs' venue was all right. 
Yeah, I was actually going to say the one game I probably have watched and thought, yeah, this is a decent standard game. It, it is that one, of course, as an Arsenal mm. fan, that the games that we've been involved in have been horrendous so far in terms of, not, not in terms of entertainment, though, but in terms of <laughs> what's happened to us. They've made me obviously not, not want to watch them and obviously not enjoy them. But you know what else? Uh, what I think I would enjoy watching, Dan trying to untangle those headphones for those of you watching us on YouTube, that is an incredible knot. How have you managed that? You didn't see it before I untangled it. I had two minutes to get on this pod and I found my headphones. It was just a big ball. So I got to this state and just, I just, I didn't want to be late. <laughs> having known having known Dan for many years, I've heard what he can do in two minutes is legendary. So, oh, awesome. yeah, fair play. There you go. Uh, Mr. Alavi. Mr. Alavi, have you enjoyed the return of football? Um, and same question to you. Have you enjoyed it at all? I'm struggling, I have to admit. I was, and it's. I'm going to be, end up being wrong because I was for the return of football, but as it is now, I, I am really struggling, if I'm honest. I do think we have to give it some time. I don't think it's something that we can say after one week. And I almost accepted that, say, Norwich-Southampton maybe wasn't going to be as enjoyable. But to not enjoy tonight, to not enjoy Liverpool-Everton, that's where I don't... And you talk about the fans, but they have got that crowd noise. And that <coughs> crowd noise isn't bad. It wasn't. It's not bad in the German league. Um, it's not bad in the Italian. So I can't picture what it is. I don't know if it's maybe affected the intensity of the games. I don't, I don't know. But they're just. I guess the other think, thing which I never really thought about before is we're in an awkward position where it's not like we've just got a couple of games to just quickly get us to the end, right? And it's not like we're at the start of the season where we can almost start over. We're just in that mid. You know when your hair gets to a certain length and you're like, oh, you've got, you've got to choose whether to go away or just shake. Yeah, yeah. It's like that. And it's just like today show that Derby's need fans, don't they? Like the edge of today, the edge of Sunday, Liverpool-Everton was just, Liverpool, was just Liverpool softened was by the pitch. But it is. And it's like, it's a similar situation today. Like how many how many incidents, how many big tackles? I, I don't want to sound like yeah. a cliche support, like, but... Yeah, just I'm I'm really struggling, and I never realised what impact the fans would actually would actually make. I I, think, I, I must have just underplayed the whole thing. I think, I think the fan Sorry, noise has made a mild difference, like having yes, it yeah, versus yeah, yeah, not yeah. having it because I weren't expecting it. The first time I heard it, I was like, "Oh, that's all right. Um, that's a good good idea." But it's not the same. If you think when a team is, is struggling or not playing very well for a period of time, how quickly the fans get on the team's back, and then. When, when a home team is like 1-0 down or even 2-0 down and they score a goal, there's that massive momentum shift that comes with the fans. And the bottom line is, in football particularly, you know, you need the fans to inspire the players and then you need the players to inspire the fans. You know, there's the sort of... But Dan, were, were, these games, were these games boring before? Like, are we rewriting history? Like, is there a self-fulfilling prophecy, <clears throat> prophecy where if 10 minutes into a game, 15 minutes into a game, rather, and it's boring, say like tonight or Liverpool-Everton, Rather than saying, oh, this is typical Derby, you know, very tense or typical two teams that don't want to concede, we're going, oh, this is typical post-lockdown. Post oh, uh, uh, football's not as good anymore. Do you know what I mean? I oh, we, we've got that I thing in our self-conscious where, where you're automatically got a reason. Yeah. I think there's bits where, like, a game would have been shit before and you might not have noticed as quickly because there's something else going on. That's what I mean. You take, That's like, what I mean. Spurs yeah. West Ham today, yeah? Really shit game after 20 minutes, right? Awful, awful. Yeah, really shit. Like, desperately bad. And... In a real situation, what would happen is someone, a terrible footballer, normally Mark Noble, would put in an absolutely <laughs> terrible challenge. He'd put in a terrible challenge to try and G up his supporters. And then 
the Spurs supporters would like, you know, they'd, they'd be giving it to the ref and you'd get that massive crescendo of noise and it inspires players then to break that cycle of monotony. Whereas at the minute, it's just like, uh, I didn't even cheer the second goal. I, I, I do. Honest. I do. What game is this good before? Like, are we rewriting history? Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I've, I've been working on commentary on a, on a number of games since football's come back. I started off doing Bundesliga games, um, which were, of course, all play behind closed doors. And when you're doing them on commentary, you don't get the benefit of the, of the crowd noises because that doesn't come through in the mix when you're dealing with it. You know, and the, and the games that I've done more recently, even the Premier League ones, we don't have that in the mix. It comes through to the viewers, but it doesn't come through to us. And what I found is initially I was like, wow, this is weird. This is strange. But the more I, I, I watched it, the more games I did, the more I got over it. And maybe because I've been doing those games, I'm a little bit more advanced than you guys in terms of my getting used to it. Not saying that, you know, I'm just further down the line of getting used to it because I've watched more of it. And going back to the Merseyside derby just quickly, um, you know, a lot of people have said that it was a dire game. I was on commentary for that game and I actually found it fascinating watching it so closely, how tactically astute and how committed Everton were on that day. And we can talk about the crowd not being there and maybe it, it kills the intensity of the game a little bit. I think it kills the intensity from a supporter's perspective and some players will be affected by it. But I thought there were a number of Everton players like Dominic Calvert-Lewin, like... Um, Seamus Coleman, who I, I would say that's the best game I've ever seen him play in his entire career. I thought it was fantastic um, at right back. So I, I do think that it's just something that we're just going to have to get used to. And the more you watch of it, the more you'll get used to it. And with the Premier League, this is the first weekend and the first Bundesliga or first second, first week of full games we had and now moving into the second. But the Bundesliga was like this as well. And as the weeks went by, the levels of fitness improved, the quality of the football improved, and then the crowd became more of a side note than being the actual main thing. But you're 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 in a mind like whether you like it or not, you're because of your work, you are in a minority to that average football fan in terms of how you're gonna view a game, right? So if you look yeah, at yeah, the totally average football that, fan, yeah. you have to appreciate that we're not all gonna be watching like Seamus Coleman's tackle percentage for on a Sunday night, do you know what I mean? So I don't know. Like, I just I, is it a self? Is it a subconscious thing where we just know that there's a reason to not like something, so we just jump down? The, I don't know. I don't. Video, you're on mute, mate. That's probably <laughs> the most. That's probably the most sense I've ever made on any of these pods. But you know, <laughs> fans, fans are part of life sport. They are part of that game. You're taking them away. It's never going to be the same level of excitement. It's not going to inspire the same quality of football. In, in you know in the majority of games i think it's a really shit example right you watch watch p watch pdc darts and then watch bdo darts and you you know you can't enjoy mm. bdo darts because the fans sit there like that like eating crisps whereas the other ones you've got like four thousand pissed up fellas throwing empty glasses as the players are throwing darts do, 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 do you know what i mean you can't this yeah, is yeah. Incom it's an incomparable situation and and that noise when you're a top level sportsman that's what you want. You want a crowd to be able to play up to. You see it now in, in any football game. Ronaldo is, is, is the best. He'll do something because he knows there's a crowd there. He knows there's people watching. He knows there's a camera. You know, he, and now you're taking all that away. It's, it's never going to be the same level of excitement. And you might get used to but it. Is, is the pace different, Dan? Or 
did we just preempt the pace being slower? So we're just looking for it to be slower. Yeah, but it's naturally yeah, but it's naturally gonna be slower when you watch the start like after of an international League... break, it can be slower sometimes. Yeah. When, <laughs> yeah. when you watch the start of the Premier League season, often the first couple of weeks are a little bit underwhelming because you're so hyped up for it to come back, you're so excited to see it, and then it rarely delivers. So <sighs> yeah, okay, yeah, but, but they don't have games bang, 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 bang. That's the you're issue. A footballer. Now. We've just you're got a games footballer. constantly. You pick the ball up in midfield. Right, it falls to you. It's a scrappy little ball. You've got an option. You're facing backwards to your own goal. You can pass it five yards. As you get the ball, 6,000 fans shout, Gah! what do you do? How many times are you going to turn around? Because the fans will drive that attack. You know, when Arsenal have been struggling in games and you're getting frustrated, how often... Arsenal's a bad example. Where are Arsenal going to borrow their Terrible fans? Example. Yeah, they've, they've, Terrible they've had loud the fans this... Yeah, where are they going to borrow the crowd noises from? Is there a club going <laughs> to lend them? But no, but the point is like, you hear, you know, even in like, you know, North London Derby, the one this season, you were 2-0 down. Yeah? yeah. You get that element of crowd noise where the crowd forces the players to do something more exciting because that's what the crowd are there for. And you drive, yeah. you, you inspire a comeback, you inspire a better performance. You're not going to have that. How many teams have won from behind in this in this? I bet this but probably none. You know, you, know. you you're really looking fun. for that bit of inspiration when it when it's all going tits up and yeah, it's, it's it's not it's not going to be the same level of quality until you get until you get fans back. That you know, it's just not. No, I, they're more human. I, I, the players are more human than I thought. They're more you, actually. The fans are more important than I thought. But do you think as well though that people's mindset in general has shifted due to what what the world's been going through? So yeah, yeah, we've definitely. never had we've never had a virus. That's broke. Well, we've had viruses that have broken out, but not to this scale where so many people are dying in, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but in first world countries where, mm. you know, this stuff doesn't happen and it's happened. And I think what lockdown has done is it's made other people think about other problems in life, more important ones, really, like how they're going to work to put food on the table for their families, how they're going to stay healthy and fit. And I think people's mindset has shifted. And I think the interest in football from where you'd get the sort of semi-casual fan who's kind of into it, I think that those people in particular are probably a little bit less bothered about what happens now yeah. between the end of the and, season. Yeah, you're right. If you're not if you're not in a position where you're challenging for the league title or a Champions League spot or fighting relegation, which is quite a few clubs, again, what's your interest going to be like in this? Probably minimal. Um, so you know, there's there's so many factors. I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts on uh, how you. I think logistically, Harry, as well. Like, let's just take the average, I don't know, family or couple. You've got, say, you're working one and a half um, between you. Yeah, so one of you's doing part time, one of you's doing full time. There's a six o'clock game. You've got a kid. You've got two kids. You like, you've got no childcare. You've got no nursery. All of this. How are you gonna like? It's gonna be difficult, more difficult than it was before, to a watch that game, and b in terms of like perspective. You've got I don't know, maybe people unwell, x amount of people dying. I don't know. Do you find it morally difficult to get behind players who are paid two hundred k a week? At a six, uh, do you know what I mean? That, that moral. Yeah, thing, I don't know. I'll, I don't find, I'll find it morally difficult. Di I don't find it morally difficult to to get back into football. That's because your job. No, and not even that. I, I I just think like you know what this crisis has done is it's made people appreciate those that are important, like the key workers and the people that mm. are putting themselves at risk all the time and do all the jobs that people don't 
like necessarily want to do that, less glamorous, etc. But I don't think that that means that you should feel like you can't enjoy football or that the footballers deserve criticism because it's not that, you know, they're in one position, the other people are in another, but the two are not linked. Like it's great that we appreciate other things now after what's happened and, and what is still happening. But I don't think it should be a reason to feel like you have to morally step away from football. Um, just wanted to get, let's talk about something else that came up in the news today. And we had a little bit of a chat about it in our WhatsApp group. And we decided that we were going to park it and save it for tonight. Um, it's not Premier League related, but we heard today that uh, Jonathan Woodgate has been sacked by Middlesbrough, and they've had a uh, they've had a horrible season. Um, let's be honest, and it's about survival for them now. Um, but a, a familiar face has popped up on the scene uh, to take the job, and it's none other than Neil Warnock, who, you know, <laughs> Neil Warnock is is one of a kind. I don't I don't particularly rate him as a football manager. I think. He has limitations. I think he knows he has limitations. But, Dan, in 2020, is there still space? Is there still a place for somebody like Neil Warnock to come in with his briefcase when a team are in trouble in the championship and, and steady the ship and then and walk off into the sunset again? Yes, of course there is. Super Neil. Neil's a hero. Soon the whole world is going to like disappear into nothingness and Neil Warnock will be the only man left to defend our human race for forever, solely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, did, I did have a little smile. Um, I thought of Alavi because I know how much Alavi hates Neil Warnock. And um, I guess he got me thinking, far, it shows how bored I am, but he got me really thinking about whether there's really a market for these managers anymore. And, and there is. There is. There has to be. Because, because what it goes to show is... Actually, it's a bit like, oh, I don't know, this is going to be really deep for a pod, so I don't want to offend too many listeners. But you know when, like, you know when people say they want, you know, let's take sexism, yeah? They want the same amount of women and the same amount of men in, in, the, same, in the same company, yeah? So if you pick something like engineers, there's less women who want to be engineers than there is men who want to be engineers. So the further you go down of being equal, sooner or later you get to a place where the overall quality is completely dipped. Yeah, if you try and make every single manager manage in exactly the same way, you're going to get to a point where some teams haven't got a chance in hell. So you have to play a different way to compete at some point. And there are managers like Neil Warnock who have made a steady career out of playing this way. Sam Allardyce, you know, famously never been relegated. Um, who uh, they used to towards the end of his career, they used to bring Terry Venables in with a briefcase to sort of try and keep teams up. I know it sort of went round, but. You know, Tony Pulis, if you're in a pickle, you bring Tony Pulis. And the fact is, not every team has the same quality. Not every team has the access to the same quality. So you, there is a market for this manager, whether we like it or not. Um, I think Neil Warnock is a clown. Right, let me rephrase that. Neil Warnock, there he is. Um, <laughs> Neil, Warnock, Neil Warnock is a clown. Neil Warnock is, is, represents what English football was and what English football wants to move away from. But there is still a market for this type of manager because... Not everyone can be of the same quality level. And if you look at Neil Warnock's record in the championship, it's exceptional. He's terrible in the Premier League, but it's not his fault he always gets promoted, is it? So if you was a chairman, you'd, you'd bring Neil Warnock in and the day he got promoted, you'd say, thank you very much, Neil. Now off you trot. Um, but then who would you bring in? You'd bring in Daniel Farke, who everyone tells me is a good manager. His team are uh, seven points adrift of, of safety with like nine games left. So there is a market for this manager. Um 
and a bit like we have to accept football without fans. I guess we have to accept that we're not going to completely eradicate these managers because there'll always come a point in time where at some point in the season, there's going to be six or seven teams fighting around the bottom and they're going to do something to survive. And someone like Neil Walnut will come to the fore. And even now, we're praising... We're praising Chris Wilder. He's doing all right. He's playing some expansive stuff, but similar sort of mould. Steve Bruce is doing a wonderful job. Roy Hodgson has sort of reverted to that sort of tactic. Roy Hodgson, they've got the, they had the same amount of points before tonight than, than Tottenham did, and they're saying they're happy to stay up. And Tottenham are looking at the Champions League. It's, they've got the same amount of points. So there's always going to be a market for this type of manager. And so, Neil Warnock, he's the best. He's the one of the best at it. So but why have they, they why have they waited one game <laughs> to know, fire someone? Well, you got... Yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I mean, Alavi, before before I give sort of my take on it, mm. why do you dislike Neil Warnock so much? Because you do, you really, you really dislike the guy. Like really everyone, long. everyone has like everyone has one manager who they just dis- hate, and for some reason, he's always been mine. I just think he's everything wrong with like British football. Just, I, I think what it is is when I was young, I remember Anton Ferdinand was on Soccer AM, and. Uh, they had an interview with him and he was talking about how Neil Warnock was coaching him to kick the ball as far out the training pitch as possible, as if it was a stadium, and to shout out as he did it. And I just thought that's exactly why you, this country will never win a World Cup, because that's what Warnock's teaching. That's what I don't like about him. And um, yeah, I just don't understand, like, and, and I don't understand where Middlesbrough are going, because they get like quite progressive managers like... Um, uh, they've had things before, haven't they? Not just Woodsgate. Um, I've got his name now. Who did they have? Uh, Gary Monk. Uh, that's the one. They had Monk and a Karanka. They had Monk, didn't they? Yeah, no, yeah. Karanka played awful football. So yeah, this is what I don't understand. Mark. They go, yeah. they go from like Karanka to Woodsgate to you know, and then they've got Pulis, and then they'll, they'll, they've now got Warnock. Like they've got no identity. Yeah. I just don't, I mean, do you know what Middlesbrough's two games results were before they um, before lockdown? A draw and a win. A draw and a win. So it's not like they came in really bad form. So why would you... I just don't understand. Why would you let someone, like, just lose a game? If anything, stack him before and let Warnock have two two months with the players to train. That's what I don't... I I just cannot for the life of me think why he's been sacked. Do you not think that this is just a a major panic from Middlesbrough? I mean, look at the championship table. They're, They're literally sitting in 21st place. They are only outside of the relegation zone. It's goal difference, isn't it? Goal difference. It, it looks um, like a perfect time to panic, looking at that. You know, but that's yeah, exactly. what I mean. Like He's he's going to end up keeping them up, and he's going to look like a saviour, when actually Woodgate would have probably got out got out of it. They've got to go to Stoke next, and they've got to play Hull. Stoke are, what, three, four places in front? Hull about, so they're two winnable games. So, so I don't know if it's because those teams are so close to Middlesbrough that he's thought, we need to win these games. But... It's going to annoy me because they're going to stay up. What would you do if you were the chairman? Forget who you appoint. Would you sack? Forget who you appoint because everyone always looks at these things. No, no, I would give Woodgate a chance. Like you're you're not talking about someone who's you know ten points of relegation. You're talking about someone whose last three results are draw, win, loss. I know they got thumps, but yeah, but can you can you can you afford to do that though? Can Middlesbrough afford to slip into the third tier? I mean, it for me, it's. It's one of those where, you know, they, they have given Woodgate 
a, a long time and it's never really picked they up. Have, they like, haven't backed him though. They haven't backed him financially. They haven't, they haven't but that's because they're, they can't. It's not because they don't want to. It's not because they don't trust him. And if anything, Jonathan Woodgate's probably been in the job too long, in my opinion. Um, and it's come to the point where they've looked at it. There's what? eight games to go in the championship and they've panicked. And and I agree with Dan where he says that looking at that is the right time to panic. Now, I, I didn't want to talk about anything Arsenal on this show because the social club is my chance not to talk about Arsenal and to have a break from it. But we're getting loads of live comments through um, asking about one topic in particular. And it's a topic that I know for a fact that the pair of you have really, really strong opinions on. So I'm going to bring it up anyway. We're going to talk about David Lewis because reports have emerged this evening from David Ornstein, who's normally very reliable um, when it comes to Arsenal or all things Arsenal, that David Lewis has signed a, a one-year contract ex extension with the Arsenal. Now, Dan, I know you're not an Arsenal fan, but I know you have a very strong view on David Lewis. And is this, in your opinion, a good bit of business from the Gunners? No, no, it's not. Um, I know it kind of obviously it feels like I pick on Arsenal, and I will pick on Arsenal a little bit because it's sports Tottenham, and that's, that's natural. But you know, I wouldn't tell blatant lies about my opinion. And when um, when Arsenal signed him for eight million pounds, I, I was I was shocked. And there were lots of Arsenal fans fans who were quite excited because they looked at it and said, "Well, well, Koscielny's gone, and we bought in Louise, and it's eight million pounds, and it's it's an improvement." And I'm looking at it and saying, "This guy's a clown." And I can't believe he's been given another shot at a decent-sized club. And his performances have proved that. He's, he's given away four penalties, been sent off twice. And that's you give you give away penalties and get sent off twice. You, you, those things happen because you're, you're poorly positioned. You know, a good defender, that will happen to you once in a season, maybe. You know, because every now and then you, you, you get caught out. Four times, you know, it's four penalties, two straight red cards. You know, he's giving goals away. He's not controlling the ball on his fire. And and I just think, you know, you're, he's a player with great technical ability, but he doesn't know when to use it and he's dangerous. And I think you're at this point now where his contract is running out. If you're keeping players, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at the value and you say, well, we may as well keep him because he's an asset. But he can't be a starter in Arsenal's defence going forward. If he's not a starter, he's going to sit on the bench. If he sits on the bench, there comes a day he has to come on. And then what happens is what happened the other night. And now he's, he's the full guy. It's a game you're probably going to lose anyway. And on the balance of play, the coincidence was it shifted when he came on. The reality is, at some point, Manchester City were probably going to win the football match. And David Luiz becomes a scapegoat. But it's his own fault. And I think, why, why do you want a squad? Why do you want a player in your squad that you may have to use and you're at the point where none of your fans want to see him there. That's the reality of it. There can't be a single Arsenal fan who's going to ever watch him get off the bench again and say, it's all right, David Luiz has got this. So I don't see why the club want to get themselves in that position. It can't be hard to find a better centre-half now. You can argue, and Alavi will argue, about how good he may have been earlier in his career. I disagree. I've never rated him as a defender. I think he's had a very lucky career. Good luck to him. He has... He... He's a type of defender who, you know, when like Barcelona will stick Mascherano at centre half because they don't have to defend. You know, if you put him in a team like that, he'd look great because he's got to defend for about five minutes a game and he can spray balls in the middle of the park. The reality is Arsenal aren't in that position. Um, he's not going to join a club again that's in that position. And he's always, 
he's always going to cause Arsenal problems. And the easiest way to stop him causing Arsenal problems is to not offer him a new contract and then he's gone and then you're forced to replace him. Because there's no situation I can foresee where he helps Arsenal Football Club. Anything but they won't replace him. That's yeah, the but, issue. Yeah, but why not? Go on, go, go on Alan. We've, seen, we've seen good youngsters coming through Arsenal this season, this very season. There is how, long's the guy out, how long's Mary out for? How long's the guy out for? Well, we think he's probably going to be out potentially till the end of this season, so for another few weeks. But the, the, so the reports that, that, could that, emerged, on, that could go on oh, to longer than that. Well, Sorry, well, the reports that have emerged this evening say that Arsenal have signed David Lewis on a one-year deal, that they have, they've put a, an offer on the table for Cedric Suarez, who's currently on loan from Southampton, a right-back, and they've put an offer on the table for Pablo Marie on permanent deals. Those two are reportedly going to get four-year contracts. That's what they're saying. That's what the report says tonight. Again, we've had no official confirmation of this. As I said, we weren't even planning to talk about this, but we've been inundated with live comments. Yeah. So I, I felt it was right you, that we discuss it. Would you keep him, If he was a goalkeeper, if he was a reserve goalkeeper with that level of error in him, would you want him to sit on your bench? Because like, I'd liken it to, you know, like Michel Vaughan, Spurs re-signed him for no apparent reason. And then guess what happened? We had to play him because the other goalie got injured or we gave him a game in the cup. And then guess what happened? Someone took a shot straight at him and he went in the fucking goal. And you can't have these players around you. There cannot be... So is it, is it, purely, is it purely because both Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta like a favourite position based style where the ball's played out from the back? It can't just be that they both see this guy as being a good defender. And it, you know, it, got, but it can't just be because they see him suiting their style. He has to have something about him that he's showing in training or whatever that. I, he's got I th- something about him. I think that what it is that, that they like about him is, first of all, he's got, a, a, whether we like him or not, he's got a very experienced uh, head on his shoulders. Mm. Um, he's been there, he's done it, he's seen everything. Um, Brazil, of course, when they were humiliated in that World Cup game, remember by the Germans, um, he was one of the players that took the brunt of it. Um I think that that has made him into not just that, but, uh, you know, some of the experiences he's had throughout his career have made him into a natural leader. I think he is a natural leader. Um, I think that he came on against Manchester City and he made those errors, yet he voluntarily came out. He came out. out, He came out. And and for all the things you can criticise David Lewis for, you can't say he hides or that he shies away from responsibility. He doesn't. so in that sense, he deserves a lot of credit. We've also, as Arsenal fans, heard a lot over the last few months and over this season about the positive influence that he's had on some of these younger players that are coming through and and the, the, the sort of the way he's put his arms around them. And in particular, Gabriel Martinelli, who's obviously Brazilian, young kid, comes from Brazil, you know, doesn't know the language and he's come and he's, you know, he's got David Lewis there. It's a dream for him because... He's got somebody there who knows the culture of the Premier League, understands, uh, you know, what it's like to come from Brazil to Europe. And he's he's helped him sort of through that transition and he's helped him very well. The problem with David Lewis is that he does make too many errors too often. And there comes a point where, as Arsenal fans, you get fed up of that. You can't keep forgiving someone for the same thing time and time again. And he has made some really silly errors. But what I will say is Mikel Arteta is clearly adamant that he believes that David Lewis is at the very least better 
than the other options mm. he has available to him. And clearly, in my opinion, the fact that Arsenal are going to go out on a limb and give him an additional year says to me that there's been clarity that, in fact, this summer, Arsenal are not going to be able to go out and break exactly. the bank to get another set exactly. But you know, you've got Saliba. You've got Saliba joining. That's already, my point. Yeah, Saliba's so he's, come, on his, he's on his way. Saliba's on his way. We've paid twenty-seven million pounds for him. He'll be with the squad next season. Um, but I think that in Mikel Arteta's eyes, and people are going to criticise Mikel Arteta for this, and this is one of those crossroads that you come to as a manager. And I know it's stupid to say that, given you know how short of a period of time he's managed his football club. But he's at one of those crossroads now where his decision is going to be scrutinised so badly. And later on down the line, if things do go the wrong way, this is one of the things that people are going to look back on and say, you got that wrong. Just like Emery had a few of those moments. One of them was the Ozil thing. It was the Shaka thing. And, you know, managers will have these moments through their career. And Mikel Arteta has been strong here if he's insisted on Lewis being given an offer because this is the complete opposite to what the fan opinion says to what the pressure says from the outside and it seems as though he's gone actually I don't give a shit what everybody says which you, you know you need to do to a degree as a manager but it's about what you want as a manager yeah yeah you that's what you, you want in your manager you want a manager to be strong and not to be hmm. swayed by be bold, yeah. reactive fans so I get that but this is he's he's really gone out on a limb here and he's really done that and, and gone, I'm not going to listen to the noise outside. What I find strange as an Arsenal fan, and I'm going to come on to Alavina in just a moment, is the shock and the horror amongst the Arsenal fans this evening on social media, having seen these reports emerge. Mikel Arteta was pretty adamant after the Manchester City game in front of the camera that what had happened at the Etihad Last Wednesday night was not going to have any influence on his decision as to whether David Lewis was worthy of a no, contract. No, of course not. So we, so, made, yeah. yeah, so so we shouldn't we shouldn't be surprised by this. Um, you know, I, I mean, Alavi, you are a fan of David Lewis. You always have been. You've always admired the way he plays the game, his boldness, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Try and give us some insight as to why you think. Mikel Arteta feels that he's still capable of doing a job. So, yeah, I would flip what you've said and put yourself in, if I'm Mikel Arteta, I'll put myself in his shoes and I'll go, I, I don't know that I'm going to have X amount to spend in the summer. I don't have the best set of central defenders in the world. Why would I? What sense would it make to let someone go, someone who's a European Cup winner, Premier League winner, two-time FA Cup winner, Benfica, etc., etc. All these trophies are won. That experience. What is the harm in him just being a backup central defender? You at saw the, the very harm. worst. You saw the harm last night. <sighs> okay. You saw, you saw How many harm. times is he going to come on? How many times? Every is he time come he'll on? come on. Every time he'll come on, that will happen. And also, someone, someone who plays the sort of football that I'm, yeah, trying, try uh, like, and that's quite clear when you have such like Ferguson, what he used to say about Keane, to have someone that epitomizes what you are trying to do, someone who holds onto the ball, moves forward in possession until, you know, someone forces you to engage and press him and you release the ball and you're a leader. And like Harry said, the way he came come out the other day, that's the sort of, like, if I was an Arsenal fan, yeah, I'd be fuming that he had cost me the game. I'd also be quite encouraged that a player had the balls to come out and be like, do you know what? That was my fault. I'm going to take all the pressure off my team. Like, how many leaders like that do Arsenal, um, do Arsenal have? Like, Aubameyang's like the best player by an absolute mark. 
But I can't see him being a leader like that. He'd be a quiet captain who leads by example. So all the, like all these managers, like, they can't all be wrong about that. You can't tell me like ten managers in a row have been wrong about that. They've all. They're, they're, the thing is, they've, <laughs> all sold, they've, all, they've all sold him in the end, haven't they? He's played. He, he's played for a lot of clubs. But what's the harm in a one-year contract? Like you, you, you're acting. You're talking like he's just been given a four-year deal on like three hundred k a week, and he's captain, and he's going to start every game. I, I get your argument. No, he's I been do, given I a one. Get... He's been he's been given a one-year deal, an experienced player, an experienced winner, an experienced leader who who advocates the type of football that the manager wants, and and he'll probably be on the bench. Like big deal. I I no? am not. I am not. Um, I'm not. First of all, I'm not convinced that he will be on the bench. I think that when he is uh, fit and ready and when his suspension is over and when this contract stuff is is all concluded, because Mikel Arteta basically admitted that the reason he was left out against Manchester City was because of what was going on behind the scenes. And, you know, they had until today to make the decision. Otherwise, he couldn't stay for the remainder of the season due to the rules about the contracts and all that stuff. I think that David Lewis will play when he's available and when he's fit. Um, I think that it's very easy to look. David Lewis has made a lot of mistakes this season. He has. And I always have this running commentary with you guys. I always text it in the group, don't I? The goal difference. I've got a goal difference tally going between how many goals David Lewis gives us and how many he concedes. Because there was a period where he got sort of a few goals in the league coming up from set pieces and stuff. And we was like mirroring that up and, and having a good <laughs> joke and laugh about it. But what I'm trying, what I guess I, I want to say here is, I think he will. First of all, I think he will play. I think he is in Mikel Arteta's plans to be a starter. But prior to to the lockdown and between probably January, um, you know, when we started our little unbeaten run, and I know it was only three months and whatnot, but given where we'd come from, it was a it was a real improvement. Probably didn't win enough games in that run, um, but we avoided defeat and we showed a bit more. Uh, steel and a bit more, you know, we were a bit tougher and, and we, you know, we just looked like a more difficult proposition to beat. In all honesty, David Lewis was one of the better players in that run. He was very, very good and he was much improved on the David Lewis that we'd seen at times before. So what I, the same, some of the same fans that were saying David Lewis is doing really well under Mikel Arteta, he's improved a lot under Mikel Arteta, are still now are now going because he made a couple of mistakes against City. Oh, we got to get rid of him. There's, as a manager, though, you can't make decisions, can not you? Not on what? No, not on one, not on one game. But for, I mean, for me, my my view is it's not over that game. And I think what we got my my issue with this is um, is first of all, he's unreliable. And if you've got a bad back line, you need to be able to rely on your experienced player. If you can't rely on your experienced player, that experience for me is, 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 is virtually worthless. And my issue is, I think this bit that he plays good football, it's slightly mythical. So I think he can spray a good pass. No a way. Wait, let me finish. Let me finish. He's got a look. Yeah, I'm upset now. Um, <laughs> but he, you know, he can rake a good pass. He tries to play the game in the right way. But if you look over the last six years, okay, the only season he's had, he's he's played well as a centre half, is when he played for Antonio Conte, who didn't want to play that football. He let them sit so deep that no team could ever try and infiltrate them. And every time a ball came in, David Luiz headed it away superbly with his big head, and he had a fantastic season. But if you look at what Aladi was saying about how he's been at Benfica, Chelsea, he's won this, he's won that. 
he has. Can't take it away from him. He's been part of those squads and he's obviously contributed to them in some way. But, you know, Aladdin mentioned two coaches. Well, Emery was there. He wasn't playing well under Emery, playing Emery style. Arteta tries to play out the back like Emery did. Emery did try and play out the back. Emery, in the end, ran out of ideas and started trying to play a sort of boring football and lost his identity. But I think from the outset, Emery tried to play tried to play progressive football. Um, it didn't quite work out for him. Then he tried to pass out of the back with David Luiz there and Socrates and the others, and he couldn't do it. Arteta's trying to do the same thing. Now, Emery's won loads of trophies. Emery, Emery won more trophies at Fulham than Arteta has won games as a professional manager. So we can't, you know, Emery knew what he was doing. It didn't work. So is Arteta going to come in, wave a magic wand, and suddenly, and suddenly Luiz is going to stop making catastrophic errors? I just can't see it. And I just think... Well, I think these managers awesome. know, Dan, that there's not going to be a big transfer window in the yeah. summer. I just think... So I get just... that. I, I get that. But by the same token, it's still... You've still got a squad. And this is Arsenal Football Club. This is a massive football club. It's not... This is not like Bournemouth. Or, you know, you see... Uh, you know how often do you see... Um, I mean, I'm going to pick on Everton. I'm going to pick on Everton. Everton have got a great player in Wayne Rooney. He goes to Man United because, you know, he's outgrown Everton at that time. Then Wayne Rooney gets to the end of his career... And they sign Wayne Rooney as a complete token when he offers very little. Okay, he scored a hat trick once, chipped in a couple of goals. But reality, you know, what did he really offer? And I think you've got to be in that place if you're Arsenal Football Club, where you're saying every single one of these players I need to be able to rely on, with the exception, you know, of a couple of youngsters that, you know, you you throw them in to blood them. We're talking about a 35-year-old old 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 man who's not who's not capable anymore of doing the job he's asked to do, and you can't rely on him. And I just think for Arsenal, it's it's such a risk where I don't, I just don't see the value in it. It's it feels to me purely a business decision, and I don't, I just don't see the benefit of it. I, I think the, I think the environment, I think the environment, the current environment is bigger factor than I thought it would be. So if yeah. I look back at some of the some of the central defenders that Arsenal were linked with a year or two ago, you know, Koulibaly was one. Um, some great great other names as well. I haven't kept up to date with all the latest Arsenal news, but the last one I heard was like some Colombian defender who plays for Genk called John Lacumi or something. Do you know what I mean? Like they're not quite the same rep. So obviously there's something that's happened in this new environment that yeah. I wonder Arsenal if... aren't going to attract. So they've obviously yeah. thought like we're not exactly going to go and get the top central defenders in the world. We're not even we used to be able to get that second tier. We can't get them. So we've Surely we keep that. What are you going to say? What What are you going to say if? So obviously, when you look at the the central defensive options at Arsenal Football Club, there are a lot at the moment. None of which are good enough, but there are a lot. You've got Mustafi there. You've got Socrates there. You've got Holding there. Callum Chambers is due to come back. William Saliba is going to going to be there. Zek Medley's another one who was in the squad at the weekend. Didn't get a game. Youngster uh, sort of coming through the ranks. So there are players there, but. If they extend David Lewis's contract and then they go and manage to offload Socrates and offload one of the others, then I'm probably going to be less frustrated by the Lewis signing because then I think to myself, right, what this has come down to is you need to you need to trim the squad down. You want to have a more uh, concise squad of players that you believe are right for the job. And you've made the decision that you believe that David Lewis is, is superior to... Socrates, for example, in which case I can then get behind the decision. But if you're going to keep them all and none of them are good enough 
And then David Lewis's astronomical wage demands, which they are, um, you know, are, are going to put a strain on what we can do elsewhere in the transfer market, then it's a problem. So, you know, it, I think when you talk about transfer windows and you talk about transfer decisions, you have to wait for the entire thing to play out before you can then look back and say, was it a good window or was it a bad window? And, you know, I think we're we're very quick to jump on, on one decision here and there. But Mikel Arteta will, I hope anyway, have a, a longer-term vision and a longer-term plan as to what he wants to achieve by keeping that like, on. Really quickly, I just think lockdown's been, what, three months? I just think it's a long time. Do you really think those conversations haven't happened? Do you think this decision has been made outside no, of it, that transfer market it, you can't tell me that they haven't gone around to Arteta and said you might want to think about signing a couple of these players for next year because we don't have any money for a trip that, that, that conversation has happened at every club so yeah, I agree. the two yeah. are linked yeah I agree so Arteta's not stupid <laughs> yeah that's my point I think that this is signing David Lewis up whether it's right or wrong is part of a bigger plan than it is just do we keep Lewis or not? It's about they, they've obviously looked exactly. at what how they want to rebuild for next season. And in Mikel Arteta's opinion, you know, it, it might not even be a case of Mikel Arteta necessarily thinking, yes, David Lewis is the right man for me. It might just be a case of him looking at his options and looking at what exactly. is available to him in the transfer market and thinking, right, having looked at all of that, now uh, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that he's my best option. Uh, let's having go over been told to I've got 15 million to spend in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I better stick to him. Yeah, exactly. Let's have a look at some of the, the live comments coming through because we, we, we came to this topic because so many of you were discussing it in the chat. Um, <laughs> Marble Hall's TV says DDL is Spurs. I was agreeing with his point, but then I may have to disagree with anything he says, given his allegiances. <laughs> and I, I think I think that's absolutely fair enough. <laughs> fair, uh, fair Carol says uh, DDO is talking sense. He can't be a Spurs fan. Um, I'm going to take this off. I'm getting fucking all sorts of trouble. <laughs> uh, this one is directed to Alavi. This is from Azzy in the chat. He says Carlos Cuesta or Lakumi. Who the fuck is Lakumi, by the way? He's the um, gangster. It's meant to be the next big thing, and it is a Colombia defender. Is meant to be quite good. All right, okay. I, I can't see John the really John John the something like that. Uh, what else have we got in here as well? Um, you know, we there's so many great comments coming through. Keep them coming, guys. Um, as I just scrolling through, it's just slowed down on the scroll. God's sakes, it's a good time to tell you now while I'm scrolling through your comments that you can now become a patron of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. If you check the link out, uh, rolling across your screen at the bottom, um, you head over to the website, you can sign up as a patron. There are two tiers of membership. You can just simply support the podcast for a pound a month um, and you'll receive uh, access to some exclusive content. Or you can become a super fan where you'll get uh, exclusive content, a free gift from us after three months and various other bits and pieces to come in the coming months. Um, and that's for three pounds a month. You'll be supporting the podcast and we can assure you that every penny of that will go back into improving it, enhancing it, bringing more people on board. We've already hired an editor for our website and you'll find there is lots and lots of written content going on there on a daily basis now. So big improvements come in there and big improvements come in everywhere. So uh, if you want to help us out and support us, uh, please 
feel free to do so. But that's not to say you have to, and we're not going to value you any less if you don't, and you're still going to get your questions answered, and you're still going to get access to all this free content. So don't worry about that. Um, Maximus says, <laughs> that's a great name, Maximus Genitalia. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this club is now an absolute joke, mid-table, boring football, no attacking flair, and a horrible defence. Um, that's for you to answer. I mean that that could be that could be about that could be about ten clubs yeah, at the Fifteen clubs in. Yeah, there's a there's a whole lot of mid table. I I, yeah. I look I looked at the table this morning. I mean, just like realised football started again, and Crystal Palace were ninth. So when did that happen? Really? Yeah, they're ninth. They've won four games yeah, in a row. Without we, we we need we need we need City Chelsea to be good really on Thursday for football, don't we? Yeah, we need that and to City, be a good game. City though, Liverpool, we? and then City Liverpool Thursday after. We need boost to be good. We boost. need a boost. Yeah, we need a boost. And we do indeed, lads. Just a final topic of discussion. Um, I want to talk about Manchester United a little bit because, um, obviously, when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer first took the reins on a sort of permanent basis, things weren't going too well, and you know there've been a lot of ups and downs in Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's Manchester United reign. There's been some big results um but there's been some really really <coughs> abysmal performances as well um last week's game against spurs last friday night we got the first glimpse of what could be in my opinion an incredible midfield in paul pogba and bruno fernandez um dan you will have watched the game up close i'm sure i love you saw it as well but we'll come to you in a moment um dan watching it from the opposition side how good were those two and do you think that if Oli can get the right man in behind them then that could be really the hub of Manchester United's team moving forward for the coming years. Yeah, I mean, they, they instantly clicked through the old synchronised diving, one each. Um, yeah, no, I think Bruno Fernandes is a Bruno Fernandes is a really, really good player, really good player. Like he effortlessly is always in space. Some of his mm. some of his passing and his vision is superb. He's not afraid to add a shot. Um, really, really, really impressive. Paul Bugba is a great, a great player as well. Um, oh no. It is. <laughs> it's, it's giving uh, it's giving uh, them OCD. <laughs> sorry. Carry on, carry on. Yeah, so he, he's a really good player, and Paul Pogba is and has been a world class player for for a long time. So, in terms of midfield pairings, there's not much out there to com- to, to compare to that. So, how do you build around it? I mean, Mash- Ra- Rashford's coming into you know a decent run of form. He's He's improved after a bit of a dip from his initial burst through. So I think in an attacking sense, they've got they've got a decent amount of supply to someone who's fast and, and can finish and is and is growing. So for them, it's all about now how do they how do they get that defensive stability? I, mean, I, I think he's quietly built a reasonable side there, hasn't he? I'm not convinced yeah. about, about the centre half pairings yet, and what he wouldn't have expected. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer when he took over like a year and a half ago, what you'd have said is this whole team needs a shake up. But the goalkeeper's all right. And that's almost flipped on its head. Whereas now suddenly he's got a problem in goal, which you wouldn't have been expecting because the, the hair's form has deteriorated over, you know, over an 18-month period. Um, and he's starting to get to that point now where there's too many mistakes as well. But I think as a pairing, I think I think he's got a lot to work with there. And if he can just find... This is where we're really going to see whether Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has grown as a manager. Because at the beginning, there were excuses for him. You could say the squad wasn't great. We could point at his, you know, his lack of experience, his tactical lack of. But now he's got some players there. The board have backed him, and they get a lot of criticism. But they have given him, you know, a, a top quality player there. Kept the players he's got. If Pogba and Fernandez are there next season, 
it should be pretty simple for him to build around that and put in a sustained top four challenge. Let's not forget they're still fifth and, and quite a way off fourth. So, you know, it's not it's not champagne and skittles. I yet. think fourth, fourth is feasible for them. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's within reach, but um, mm. you know, it's not it's not a fantastic it's not a fantastic season they've had. Um, Fernandez has only been there since January, but he's got something to build on there. Um, and, and any about, of those teams about. could end up having a good season purely because of other teams around them just losing like three, four in a row. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it'd be quite competitive so, between between third and third yeah. and eighth again, probably. But what? But what I just if, think it doesn't matter how good those two are. Does it, if you've got Lindelof and Maguire behind you, you're going to have issues. And so, this is it. Yeah, you, you need to. He, he, you know, he's got an opportunity to build around that. How eighty million was ever spent on Maguire? I'll never know. Um, but. Yeah. Has, has there been a player recent or in the in this season where, but you know where every other fan's gone? Bloody hell, he's a bit good. Like Fernandez has just everyone sort of quietly gone. Jesus man, this guy can play. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, I think he's settled really quickly as well, which often yeah, yeah. doesn't it's necessarily such a small, happen. Slight like yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you don't you don't often see players settle so quickly. You know, uh, some of them do, um, and then they have a dip a little bit later on. Some of them take a, a, some time to get going. I think what was you know the Fernandez thing? It was quite a dragged out deal, wasn't it? We'd heard about Manchester United having an interest in him for a really really long time. They finally got the deal over the line, and he hasn't disappointed. He's been really really good. Um, the the type of midfielder that I think they've been missing for a long time. Um, I think although. We were talking about football not necessarily being at the level that it should be right now. I think even though he was only on for a little bit, we we, we saw a glimpse of, uh, well, we got a reminder, didn't we, of what Paul Pogba can do on a football pitch and how influential he can be. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot to be optimistic about from a Man United perspective. You, you look at, we talk about the centre-half pairing not being necessarily that great. I, I get that. But, you know, Juan Bissaka at right back is a young player, looks as though... He's going to do all right. Rashford is getting better and better. Even Greenwood, when you see him, you think, yeah, there's a player there as well. Um, I would still maybe argue that Rashford is not necessarily a centre forward. Um, I'd still no, you'd have him coming he, in from the side, wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd you'd have him coming in from the flank. And if United could go out there and get a top class centre forward, then they're they're going to be a real real difficult side to contend with. Um, so yeah, reason to be optimistic for them. Not that it gives me any pleasure in saying that. Um, just before we wrap it up, because we've been going nearly an hour now, big thanks to everyone tuned in. Loads of you watching us live at the moment, more than I expected. Um, so thank you so much to, to all of you for tuning in at this late hour. Um, the Luca, there's a question that keeps coming through and it keeps getting di directed at you. And it's, what do we think of Tottenham? What do I think of Tottenham? What do you think of Tottenham? No, it's no, a song, no. Isn't it? Even I there's know only, that. there's only, there's only <laughs> one word. Shit. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. He's done it. He's done it. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Mister Deluca, for being a good sport. Because uh, if it was the other way around, I would. To be fair, that's an honest. That's is, um, that is an honest assessment based on current affairs. Um, to be fair, <laughs> shows how bad West Ham are, doesn't it? Terrible. Yeah, they're, they're terrible. Shocking. I hope they go down, to be honest. But that's a story for another day. Um, don't forget, guys, this show was sponsored by tvsportsblog.com, as is every edition of the uh, Social Club. We'll be bringing you these weekly. We'll be talking about all sorts of football issues. We'll be touching on Arsenal from time to time. Um, we didn't really plan to tonight, but there is big news coming out of the club and 
understandably, you guys wanted to hear our take on it uh, throughout this show. So we decided to divert that way a little bit. Um, but my big thanks once again to Alavi and to DDL for joining me. We're going to be back uh, next week with another edition. So until then, take care of yourselves and uh, stay safe.